the Dawn Podcast 7. Today, we'll be exploring the whole health diet with my guest, author, and visionary healthcare practitioner, Dr. Mark Mincola. Every single day since once I wake, I feel the same. Somehow I have changed. Could you the people of the street? Yeah, made me feel it. Somehow life is sweeter every day. Somehow life is sweeter every day. Hey, uh, you've gotta find a time to change. Gotta find the time to find this time to embrace the colors, fine lines, and shades. It makes this place, it makes this place great. I'll embrace the change. Whoa, 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 I'll embrace the change. Whoa, whoa. From beautiful Ashland, Oregon, I am Pleiadian Emissary of Light, Caroline Ra. Thank you all for joining me today. Welcome to Spirit of the Dawn. Since I was a small girl, I have been fascinated by health and nutrition. I made a vow to myself at a young age to take care of myself through the years, to stay thin and to look and feel great at every age. That promise to myself has been a beacon for me through the years and has served me well. Each day I learn more about taking care of myself by listening to my body and its needs and through learning from the work of innovators dedicated to teaching health and well-being. When I discovered my guest today, Dr. Mark Mincola, I was excited to find a true innovator with information about weight loss, diet, health, and nutrition that I knew I needed to know and to share. Dr. Mincola combines warmth and compassion with a scholarly knowledge of nutrition and healing modalities to create an innovative approach to healing and wellness. He is a visionary natural health care practitioner who has transformed the health of thousands of people over the past 30 years. Dr. Mancola has integrated ancient Chinese energy techniques with cutting-edge nutritional science to develop his whole health healing system. He is the best-selling author of Whole Health, and he's here with us today to discuss his latest release, the Whole Health Diet, a transformational approach to weight loss. I am delighted to welcome to Spirit of the Dawn, Dr. Mark Mincola. Mark, thank you so much for joining with us today. Caroline, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate being on. Wonderful. I was hoping that you could share some of your background with us that led you to create so many innovations in the field of nutritional health. Well, the greatest inspiration is, uh, is a continuing saga because every time I work with a patient, which is virtually every single day of my life, I'm inspired to find ways to reach to new depths to try to make a difference in their lives. So it's my patients that are my source of true spiritual inspiration and uh, discovery as well. Well, you know, there's so much talk about diet, weight loss, so much information, and I, I just want to pick your brain, and I want to learn so much today. Can, you, can we start with what's wrong with a typical approach to weight loss and dieting? Well, for starters, according to the Center of Disease Control, nearly 70% of Americans are now overweight, 30% are obese. Those figures have doubled since 1985. Uh, the average American is approximately 23 to 25 pounds over their normal weight. Over the next 30 years, it's been said that there will be 13 states with an obesity rate of 
we've reached crisis proportion in terms of the way Americans presently eat. The standard American diet is unfortunately very, very problematic. We're talking about increased risks of cancer, heart disease, diabetes, liver disease, lung disease, kidney disease. We're talking about $150 billion loss in healthcare revenues. Very serious issues we have to contend with. A recent Harvard study pointed out the fact that a mere 5% overweight increased the risk of heart disease by 30%. Now, the real key here is, is that we're not doing anything about it. 95% of diets fail the first year. Only 3% of those who lose weight keep it off for five years or more, so we're not getting the job done. Unfortunately, dieting in America is a failure. Okay. So you, you've combined um, many different types of modalities into your work with your patients and your clients. Um, can you describe uh, some of the aspects of what you bring to them? Well, sure. One of the key points here is we do this work that we this special kind of nutrition work that we do in a very different sort of manner. We're not a one-size-fits-all approach. We believe that everything is energy-based. Everybody on the planet is made up of energy. Every food particle is made up of energy. Invariably, when you, com when you combine energy with energy, you get energetic reactions. I tell people that you can actually be tested manually by the energetic, for the energetic properties of the foods that you eat. You just take an orange or a grapefruit, or if you just take a tomato or some celery, hold it close to your heart, have a partner try to check your resistance, your muscle resistance. If your resistance is weakened, it's because that food energetically is depleting your electromagnetic properties. I always remind everybody that it's that simple to determine the ideal foods that you could be eating from the pure, purely energetic perspective. Energy is energy. We're all, everything is comprised of energy. Back in 1921, Albert Einstein won the Nobel Prize for teaching us that energy and matter are interconvertible and transferable. They're concepts that are transferable, which means they're one and the same. It's just a different vantage. And so everything that we're used to is cellular, material property. We base our diets in kind of a one-size-fits-all approach. Everybody thinks that blueberries are good for everybody. They're not. I think it's really important to distinguish specifically which foods are best energetically matched for you and your uniqueness alone. It's, it's got to be individualized or it's a waste of time. That's really fascinating and really opens up a lot of uh, doors for people in achieving health in their lives to really think of themselves as an individual with individual needs. Uh, in an energetic DNA. That's very interesting. And can you talk more about the testing process? I know about it because I've done it many times and it's fascinating, but could you describe that a little bit more? Well, in the whole health system, which I've developed over the past 33 years, working with over 60,000 appointments, we really developed the articulations that the whole health healing system has as a to. So it's a much more detailed form of muscle testing. But again, when you think about it, you produce energy. Energy is up, energy is down. You get a virus, your energy is low, and you uh, see a long-lost love friend, loving friend, your energy goes up. So there's different circumstances that take our energy up and down. Food is no different. There are foods that increase our energy, foods that decrease our energy. And those responses are going to change from time to time. You can be tested manually. Again, you hold the food close. We, we, we use food vials much of the time. They're homeopathic concentrates of, of foods that are comprised of you know, cellular material that becomes energetically enhanced. It's homeopathically sort of energized, if you will, succussed, 
triturated. And so therefore we hold the vials close to the thyroid. Again, when we're trying to work with, with weight loss, the key point is your thyroid is your primary me mechanistic organ that is responsible for your metabolism, your weight loss, your ability to generate energy to burn calories. So you're dialoguing, in essence, energetically. You take these energetic properties of foods, hold them close to your thyroid. And again, as I said earlier, you can do the same thing with whole foods, Caroline. You don't have to do the food vials like we do. So if you could take um, a whole food like a tomato or an orange, hold it close to your thyroid, which is right in the middle base of your neck, and have somebody tug on your arms at, at, at shoulder's height. If there's a weakness, a decided weakness indicating that, your thyroid is not responding positively to a given food at the energetic level. Those are foods that are actually going to hamper your weight loss perspectives. So you want to enhance, you want to support, you want to find those foods that are better, if you will, for your thyroid function. And again, you can do that through simple manual testing. People can do that at home, and that's pretty much what our books teach people. So whether it's the Whole Health book that was published a year and a half ago, or that you're talking about the Whole Health Diet book, which is going to be released on the 20th of December, we're talking about systems that teach the, the reader or the patient how to basically tap in and tune in energetically the foods that are most ideal to support themselves for weight loss perspectives. That's really interesting. And I really encourage everyone to do it. It's a fascinating process. Uh, I learned a long time ago not to count calories. Um, since we're talking about diets and weight loss, that seems to be something that people obsess over. Can we talk about the process of, you know, not counting calories and, <laughs> and your, your view on all that? It's a great point. I think there's so many different folks out there that are hungry to lose weight. Again, we know that we're talking about millions of people. We're talking about hundreds of millions of Americans. Some say as many as 150 million Americans, 150 million Americans trying to lose weight every year. The cost of $40 billion. There's a tremendous amount of interest in weight loss, and unfortunately, we know that 95% of those diets fail within the first year, and only 3% keep the weight off for more than five years. There's a lot of money, a lot of energy, and a lot of hopes being wasted on a very convoluted weight loss system designed to make money for people and designed not to really be all that helpful long term. So I think you're right. Counting calories is the first problem therein. The idea is you want to make sure that you understand that foods have energetic properties, and have biomechanical properties. It can be either supportive or, or problematic as far as weight loss. Example, I want to think in terms of not all calories being equal. If you ate 2,000 calories worth of carbohydrates that are high starch from potatoes and rice and bread and pasta and cookies, it's not going to have the same nutritional value, same energetic properties, the same effect as eating the same amount of calories from fruits and vegetables that are organic. So there's, there's a certain molecular density to food as well. Beyond calories, there's a molecular density that actually has an that affects the outcome of the weight gain and weight loss. So again, potatoes, rice, pasta, oatmeal, cereals, things like that. High starch. Those high starch foods store a great deal more fat. And they are hormonally designed to program the body for more fat storage. So the way the food is comprised, the, food, the way the food is made up, determines what kind of interactive response it's going to trigger within the chemistry. Once again, potatoes encourage the body to store fat. Broccoli and, and, and proteins, you know, pro proteins and low-starch vegetables program the body to burn fat, and that's done through the hormonal processes of insulin and glucagon. 
So once again, starch increases glucagon, I'm sorry, starch increases insulin rather. Insulin programs the body as the hormone to store fat. And whereas proteins and low-starch vegetables like greens and lean proteins encourage the body to produce a hormone called glucagon. And glucagon actually programs the body to generate fat. So you get 2,000 2, calories of each one of those kind of perspectives actually different nutritional effect on the body. 2,000 calories of starch is going to dump a lot of fat deposits. 2,000 calories of protein, greens, you're going to burn it. That's all fascinating. So I guess what you're sharing really is that we're all ready for an advanced advanced information about the foods and how we actually metabolize them and interact with them as opposed to just that simple, this is calories and you know, you're allowed 1,600 a day or something like that. It's a very different approach from when I was a, you know, a teenager learning about uh, health and nutrition. Well, that's what the whole health diet plan is really all about, the idea that we need to go deeper. I think we're prepared, we're ready, we've been burned out enough on failure and on lies and programs that simply don't work. I think we need to go to the next level. We need to think in terms of the way in which foods actually generate energy, the kind of long-term effects certain types of food classifications have on the body metabolically, whether they encourage us to store fat or burn fat, far beyond the notion of just counting calories. I also think that it's important to consider emotion, thoughts, your mind, your spirit, attitude. There have been studies that have actually proven that people can actually burn calories at a greater rate by imagining it, you know, working with the anterior cingulate cortex within the brain. There is a section in the brain called the anterior cingulate cortex, which actually mimics the neurological prospects that actually happen in the body when things are truly happening. So you can imagine something by simply imagining yourself like burning calories, you're actually stimulating certain neurology to get it done in a factual, factual sort of manner. That's wonderful. I know that I use that technique a lot myself, and uh, it does work. Um, one of my favorite subjects in, in health and nutrition is inflammation, and I know that you work with many people who are experiencing symptoms of arthritis and different types of inflammation, and I know that you know how to help them. Um, can you talk about what inflammation is? Because it's a word we hear a lot, and um, but it's it's a lot of different things. Can you explain to us what inflammation is? Certainly, inflammation is kind of a reaction and response to disease and to uh, exposures that actually are hurting and harming the body. So, in fact, the body is reacting and responding to problems with inflammation. And if it's not properly understood and managed, then, then the inflammation itself becomes a problem, which it has. So we're not really taught how to work with inflammation. and to, We're not really taught how to properly understand the concept of inflammation. We used to simply think of inflammation as a tennis elbow or a sore joint, an achy joint. Inflammation is now thought of as responsible for 72% of all disease. So inflammation is a hormone-like biochemical reaction in the body or a series of biochemical reactions that uh, need properly managed. So if you have um, an, an overabundance of red meats and dairy product and peanut butter and peanuts and egg diet, you're gonna produce a group of hormones called prostaglandin 2s. It's an entire category of hormones that are produced in the body that actually encourage or further the process of inflammation as we know it. Again, inflammation as we now know contributes to 72% of all disease, not just achy joints, but heart disease, cancer. 90% of all cancer, 90% of all heart disease are inflammatory by nature. So 
what inflammation really has become is this process where we're actually expressing our negative genetic code. So our genes are prepared to, you know, the day we're born, we produce what's called a genome. The genome is kind of like a map of our genetic possibilities for disease. So our genome is, is well established the day we're born. It says, if you're going to have a disease, Caroline, you're going to have X, Z disease. And the key is that genetically speaking, your disease not express itself without being triggered. So you may have a map that you're born with a constellation of possibilities for cancer, heart disease, God forbid, or whatever. But the bottom line of it is, is those genetic constellations cannot oven by themselves express their disease. It can't happen unless they're being triggered by something. Inflammation is the likely trigger for almost three quarters of all that genetic possibility. So unfortunately, when we're not eating properly, reading the inflammatory column, increasing the inflammatory column of foods, um, then, then we tend to kind of increase the risk factors, the expression of whatever our negative genetic mapping is. And actually, to be honest with you, it all comes down to fat. It comes down to the issue of good fats versus bad fats. When you think about it, inflammation is a buildup of arachidonic acid in the body. There's six essential fatty acids. One of them is arachidonic acid. That is the trouble. That is the troublemaker right there. So certain foods, like I mentioned earlier, peanuts, peanut butter, red meats, dairy products, uh, too many, too many uh, yogurts, even for example, uh, too many inflammatory egg yolks. These are the foods that actually have high concentrations of arachidonic acid. That is the bad. That's the bad fat from which all these these negative hormones are manufactured. So the key really is, is that in order to have a hormone, in order to manufacture good or bad hormones. Lipids are required. Fats become the raw material, the natural raw materials, which all hormones are manufactured. You can't have a hormone without a fat. So these are these are kind of like bad hormones that actually trigger all kinds of problems genetically. So they're triggered by a bad fat called arachidonic acid, which comes from the following foods that we just mentioned earlier: peanuts, egg yolks, dairy products, red meats, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And also, you got to be careful of fermented foods. There's a lot of associative connection to those fermented foods. A lot of folks are eating fermented foods, emphasizing the good component, the, the healthy part of of, inflam- of, um, of uh, fermented foods. A lot of folks are using kimchi, sauerkraut, things like that, because they components some healthy aspects to those fermented foods. One thing we got to keep in mind is there are some foods that have both healthy and unhealthy components. It's a two-sided coin. So that the, the positives about fermented foods, they increase the absorption, assimilation of vitamin B5 in the gut, things like uh, probiotics, good, good bacterial cultures, enzymes, catalysts, things like that. So they do some good stuff. And people are always emphasizing the good part of fermented foods. But there's a two-sided coin. The negative side is they produce acetic acid, peruvic acid, lactic acid, carbonic acid, ammonia, things like that, which dramatically increase the risk for inflammation. So you got to be really careful about the messages we're getting these days about uh, fermented foods. It's not, it's not a closed and shut deal, that's for sure. Well, thank you so much for sharing the information, especially about fermented foods. Um, I totally experience, I do not feel like myself after I eat fermented foods. I don't feel well. I feel totally off, and I don't use them in my diet at all. And I'm always reading about how great they are, but... I don't experience that when I eat them. I feel horrible, and I don't look my, like myself even. My face gets all inflamed, and uh, it's very interesting. I thank you for sharing that. 
We are having absolutely fascinating time today talking with Dr. Mark Mincola, his soon-to-be-released The Whole Health Diet, A Transformational Approach to Weight Loss. And I think people can reserve that now at Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. Is that correct? That is exactly correct. That's excellent. That's excellent. And um, are there recipes in this book? Because I write recipes. I'm a recipe writer. I have my own cuisine. And um, I'd like to hear what kind of recipes you're sharing in the book. Yeah, there are. There's an entire um, section of the book that actually not only shares recipes, it actually puts together a, um, a mock meal plan, it's a series of mock meal plans, different options for what I would recommend for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snacks. And therein, it's, it basically takes off into the, the, the direction of specificity. So it recommends certain things for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and then takes off into descriptions regarding the, the uh, the uh, meal plans with, with uh, recipes that are very detailed recipes. So it does, it does meal planning and recipe planning both. Well, that's really neat. Something we touched on earlier was the component of emotions and eating and people relying on food, uh, maybe for not just nutritional reasons. Can we discuss that whole aspect of um, our relationship with food? Certainly, I think one of the most important aspects here we need to kind of confront first and foremost is that what we're, we're presently doing with dieting isn't working at all. In 95% rate of failure within the first year, and we're talking about billions of dollars and a lot of heartache and a lot of hope that's, that's essentially uh, the byproduct of really poor dietary concepts. One of the main reasons for failure is it doesn't go deep enough. Again, we can't just turn this into a mathematical probability. You can't just count calories. You can't just think in terms of uh, you know, jumping on the scales and seeing what the results of our calorie counting is. You got to go deeper. It's got to be more holistic. It's got to be more emotional, spiritual, mental. We're very complicated beings. We're very deep. And I think that it's important that whatever systems we look to for, for healing, for balancing, for, for transformation, they've got to take our entire being into consideration. You can't just do that purely from the, bio, from the biomechanical perspective. It's got to be much deeper than mechanics. So one of the first things I always bring up is one of the great failures of diet is that we don't understand the what I call the feed or feel proposition, the emotional proposition. Whenever we have a lot of heartache and a lot of suffering, a lot of emotional imbalances, anger, fear, grief that are piled up deep within us, they're like volcanic energies that are stuck within us. They're not being given any kind of guidance in terms of cleansing ourselves freeing those energies up, moving those energies. So we tend to kind of stuff them. Food becomes the object of our stuffing. So I say that when you really hit a, a major apex point of tension and stress, you're either confronted to either feel the emotion out or feel or feed the food down. So it's either you know, stuff the emotion by feeding ourselves food and drink or feeling it outward and moving it and channeling it outward in an outward direction. So I always encourage my patients to feel instead of feed that's extremely important, and I think that it becomes kind of a, a, an addictive process, if you will. Not kind of, but actually, in fact, a very addictive process. Addiction is largely fueled by emotion, and so is the case with food. So I think that teaching people and encouraging people and inspiring people to get in touch with their emotions and to demystify their emotions, thinking of them purely as energy, not anything more than energy, and to encourage them to release those energies otherwise can't release the energy, it continues to mass, accumulate and build up in the heart chakra. 
and your life is going to be highly distracted, highly neurologically overcharged, and very imbalanced. And I think that's what kind of leads to that depravity. So it's, it's really important that we get in touch with the, the true emotions that we store and that we feel and that we've been bound to. And we give ourselves permission to demystify those energies. And those emotions are just energies. So I think it's extremely important to demystify those energies and to take up the frequent mantle of releasing them. It's extremely important to overeating, addictive, obsessive, compulsive eating, and weight gain. Wow, that's really beautiful and very helpful. Uh, when people or you know, they go through your process with you and it takes weeks and it they starting a whole new chapter in their lives. Uh, what kind of changes can people expect in other aspects of their lives as they start having control over their health? It's a great question. I think, you know, the word that comes to mind again is holism. The idea that people can transform, uh, the, the idea that people can heal. I think there, there's a, there are distinctions to be made between doctoring and healing, between changing and transforming. I think that that's, we're talking about trying to reach for the stars here. You know, why, why would you just doctor yourself when you can heal yourself? Why would you just change your life in one, in one vector when you can transform your whole being? So I think it's a matter of um, reaching for the stars, digging deeper, and having the intent to really transform and change in dramatic ways and to reach beyond the, your, your grasp. I think the idea that you can, you can make some remarkable progress and then you can actually alter your entire being, body, mind, and spirit, as opposed to just changing your weight, losing 10 or 15 pounds. So I think the objective has to be to reach the body, mind, and spirit realm. And the whole health diet book really you know, goes to great lengths to give people exercises and to teach people how they can actually process energy at deeper levels emotionally, mentally, and spiritually to get reached further, further than they're accustomed to. So when you think about anything that uh, includes the notion of improved performance or change or transformation. We always want to go deeper, 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 deeper. And then we kind of show them different ways that they can actually do that to make a difference at a more significant level. I love how what you're describing is an inward journey. Other people see, you know, the outward aspects of it that, oh, you look really healthy, you look great in your clothing and all this. But it really is an inward journey that we do for ourselves. It's not an outward journey that we do for others. Would you agree with that? I totally agree. I think that's the difference maker. I think the concept of just looking good on the outside is kind of an old school concept. You know, the idea that people, you know, the old saying goes, if you look good, you feel good. And I just uh, think that it's, it's quite deceptive. We've all seen people who look really terrific who are just sick as a dog or fighting some kind of perilous disease. So I think that it's, you know, beauty is more than skin deep. I think in this case, we've looked at the holistic approaches to really kind of rebuilding and re re restructuring your being from the inside out. I think this is an inward journey that actually requires a high level of consciousness, mindfulness, dedication, and deeper self. I think there, there's a profound differences are made. And to watch some of the changes, I mean, I've, I've seen 60,000 patients over 33 years. Beyond weight loss, I've worked with a lot of terminally ill patients and continue to do so. So I've helped tens of thousands of people to beat terminally ill diseases, end-stage disease. And when I, when I started uh, my work, you know, 33 years ago, I never would have imagined 
that I would have been take part in many of the things that I've taken part in. Never would have dreamt that you can actually overturn uh, a life in such a way as to overcome a, an end-stage terminal illness. But I now know that that is more than possible, and in many cases likely, and have learned from patients. You know, they're my great teachers, my patients. They've taught me in many cases what it means to reach beyond your grasp, to go deeper, like I said, to go further, to not to not uh, limit your transformational process, to continue to dig, dig, dig. And they are remarkable teachers who taught me that we have the ability to make these remarkable differences in our lives, provided we're willing to dig deeper. Oh, that's beautiful. Uh, can people work with you long distance? I know that you're located in New England, I believe. Um, can people work with you long distance? Sure, they can. We're, we're about 25 minutes south of Boston. We have people come here from all over the world. Uh, but sure, we do a lot of Skype work. We do a lot of telephone work. So we do quite a bit of long distance work. And I have for many, many years. I work with people from Greece, from France, from Germany. I work with people all over the world. And your website is markmincola.com, correct? Yes, or for people that can't spell Mincola, <laughs> it's maxhealing.com, just one word, maxhealing. Okay. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, so much information. Um, for those who are interested in transforming their lives, uh, can we talk about Trump? Um, sort of working through the pain. I mean, there's tears involved and there's the pain that we process and we come to the other side of it and we understand that pain more deeply. Um, and it's a beautiful process, but it seems that a lot of people actually fear uh, really exploring themselves more deeply. Which is why I talk often about, I mentioned a few minutes ago, the idea of demystifying emotion. I'm a part of a culture that doesn't want to feel. It's, it's in, the, in the business of deadening feeling. And part of, part of the addictive process is to use substance, whether it's food, alcoholic, alcoholic beverages, drugs, uh, or behaviors that are obsessive, compulsive, that are addictive, that are compelling, that are distracting, that are powerful uh, action, that, that take us away from the act of feeling. So I think that we've become kind of as a culture, a very pain-filled culture that is very dedicated to the notion of blocking and sort of denying our reality of feeling. And our ancestors basically were forced to contend with the, the harmony of the balance of emotions, the idea that there are times where you enjoy, filled with joy, there are times you're filled with sadness. I think the objective is to be in the moment, to be in real time, and to be conscious and mindful of the process. I often tell my patients who are very addicted to foods, not only is it important to feel instead of feed, it's also important to grieve your, your past, grieve your losses, grieve your suffering as a means of releasing those powerful emotions energetically. And I think it's important to do so consciously and mindfully. If you're not, if you're not mindfully grieving, you're not grieving. I say that if you just simply grieve, you're going to perpetuate further grief. The objective is to grieve consciously and mindfully with the intent of getting to the bottom of it. I often tell my patients, if you think mentally in terms of shoveling a yard of loam in your backyard, you know when you're done with that last shovelful. But emotionally, that doesn't work out for us. We just continue to perpetuate further grief, further grief, further grief. 
The objective is to consciously enter into our grief, mindfully, be, be fully mindful of the process of knowing what you're feeling, remembering the connections, the faces, the times, the circumstances, the places, the people, really making those conscious connections, demystifying it, diving into it, embracing it, getting more conscious of the process, getting in touch with your feelings at a core level. And then as you do, to have a conscious intent to get to the last shovelful. So when I'm done grieving, whether it's 10 minutes or, or an hour, when I'm done, I'm done because my mind proclaims it as such. I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. I'm not going to perpetuate. I'm not going to carry it another day. And again, you know, conscious of what it means to have that last shovelful in the back of that truck. This is a really important concept here to be finalized, to actually have that, that conscious devotion and that intention dedicated to the concept of having the last shovelful that you don't carry on day in and day out. You don't repress it. You don't that volcanics, that volcanic tension in your being. It's important to feel it and to feel it until it's completed. Wow. Uh, your book, The Whole Health Diet, that um, is soon to be released. Well, how is it set up? Is this set up for someone to work with on their own? All my books are really, in essence, my my outreach. In other words, I've, I've come to the planet to make a difference. I've come to the planet and I've dedicated my entire life healing to transforming patients, to helping them facilitate their personal journey in the deepest and the most profound of ways. So whether we're dealing with terminally ill patients and helping them to recover, whether we're dealing with somebody who just is filled with heartache and hasn't had the ability to make their, their connections emotionally, it's all about healing at the highest possible level. And I've seen 60,000 people over 33 years, but I haven't seen I haven't seen millions of people. So, so many people that drive by our building and never have the opportunity to come in here and do this work. So my dedication with regards to the books that I write is to really invite the world into our healing process and to invite them to learn the different principles and concepts that I share with patients every day, one-on-one -on -one for 33 years that have been found and, and true, truly time-tested to be effective, to work, to be effective be successful, to be wonderful processes that are, that are just remarkable, remarkable time-tested processes, to invite the world into this process and to invite them in from the standpoint of reading the books, taking the guidance, working with it. It's amazing. I've seen thousands of emails from people around the world. My books are doing really well in Romania and places in Europe. It's incredible. I get notices and letters and emails and texts all over the world. People say that they've beaten a disease just by working with a book. So that's the greatest reward that I could ever, ever hope for as an author. Well, that's beautiful. It's beautiful that you are able to share your mission with us today. I am, I've learned a lot actually from you today that I'm going to right away apply to uh, everything I do. And I thank you deeply on a personal level, not only for being here today, but for actually making a difference in my life. And I'm excited about. Um, ordering your book and and uh, working with it. Um, uh, we have had an amazing time today talking with Dr. Mark Mincola. His latest release, The Whole Health Diet, A Transformational Approach to Weight Loss, will be on sales in bookstores everywhere on December 29th, and it's available for pre-sale now at Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. And I invite all of you to visit Mark Mincola, and Mincola is M-I-N-C-O-L-L-A dot com to learn more about his work. Mark, I was hoping that you could share some closing words of wisdom with us today. 
I would close by saying that it's extremely important that each of us identifies with our soul, our true depth. And we tend to walk around all day long, you know, focusing on paying our bills and getting through the day, which is becoming increasingly difficult in our complex world. But I, I encourage people to treat themselves in the deepest of ways as, as a soul that's passing through this particular plane that has a remarkable capacity to be transcendent, to reach beyond, to go, to go one better and one better yet, and to transform in magical ways and to reach the heights of consciousness and healing and wholeness purely by intent because they have the gift of a soul that can take them wherever they need to go. Wow, that was intensely beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that with all of us. Uh, it has been amazing. Thank you, Dr. Mark Mancola. Thank you so much for being with us today. Be with you. Thank you so much for inviting me. I wish to express deep gratitude to Brian, Zach, and Synergy for the use of their song, Embrace the Change. I thank all of you for joining us today and invite you to visit spiritofthedawn.com for more inspirational interviews. Sending love from my home to yours, I am Pleiadian Emissary of Life, Caroline Roth. Thank you.